0: Today's podcast features alumnus Brian Cook. This is the first episode of Between Two Blue Devils Alumni Edition. Periodically this summer, I will be interviewing THS alumni and sharing with you the awesome things our alumni are doing around the world. This is a special episode, not only because I loved having Brian as a student, but also because Brian agreed to engage in a conversation with me about being a young black man in America today. Brian opens up about his life and a few of his experiences and he suggests things that we can do to start making a change in America. I am hoping that this interview is a small step in helping all of us become more aware of the issue of racism in America. I'm also hoping this helps us find ways to not only educate ourselves about racism, but also to become part of the change that's so desperately needed in our nation. I can't sit silent in regards to racism anymore. I need to learn, I need to listen, and I need to prayerfully figure out how to be a part of the change. That is the purpose of this episode. Brian is an extraordinary young man. Sit back and enjoy this interview. I know I loved interviewing Brian. Welcome back to a special edition of Between Two Blue Devils. And I got to tell you, um... I'm super excited about this one. We're actually heading down a different path uh, today. Generally, I'm always interviewing teachers, uh, but the next couple episodes, we're gonna be doing a few things differently. Uh, My wife and I had talked recently about what we can do to kind of expand between two Blue Devils, especially during summer. And she had this great suggestion that I talk to community members and that I actually talk to alumni. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, that's a great idea, but I wasn't quite sure how I was gonna move on it. Uh, But then a very special situation presented itself where I could have one of my most favorite students ever, uh, a Blue Devil through and through, Mr. Brian Cook. Uh, I would have the opportunity of having him on here and and letting him kind of share a little bit about his life with you. So this is the first alumni edition of Between Two Blue Devils. And I might add, if you are an alumnus and you would like to be interviewed, uh, you can feel free to shoot me an email or uh, send me a direct message and we'll get you on here. Uh, but Brian, we go way back,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
0: uh, yep. and it was, I can remember many situations in the classroom <laughs> where you would make me laugh, <laughs> and then sometimes you'd make me a little angry.
1: uh uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, I had my fair share knucklehead moments, I tell you, all the time, but... Uh, quite enjoyable, man. I love that class. It was so much fun. We just always had a good time, you know? Yeah. It
0: it was, you always kept a a light mood in the classroom and you always kind of kept me on my, on my toes. You you mentioned knucklehead. And when we were talking a little bit last night, you were, you were a knucklehead with a lowercase K, (laughs) you know, you were, you were just a young man who brought joy and energy and passion to the classroom. Uh, you weren't a knucklehead with a capital K where like, Oh my gosh, you're driving me nuts. Uh, you weren't that student that when you were absent, uh, I was like, oh, it's going to be so peaceful. You were mm-hmm. that student that when you were absent, it was like, got it, where's Brian at? Where's That's Cookie, which I like to call you? Where, where's Cookie at? Uh, you were such a joy to have a, as a student. Um, so you went to Talmadge High School. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know when you graduated and kind of where where are you at right now in life kind of take us down that
1: path yeah so I graduated in 2013 from Talmadge High School obviously uh loved it there loved my four years there um and you know when I got done with Talmadge I went to Baldwin Wallace to pursue football um at Talmadge I played football basketball track. And I actually did one year of baseball, pitch running. So oh, I didn't learned, know that. I learned how to do baseball. Yeah, I learned how to do it for a year. Um, never hit a ball. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so did that. Um, and then went to BW, uh, played four years there where I played receiver and cornerback. Um, and I pursued a chemistry degree, which I obtained and then a math minor. And then I went on to play two years of arena football and then I had multiple workouts with various NFL teams. So, um, tried to take that portion of my athleticism and extend it as far as I could. Um, and just grateful for the experiences that I got out of it. Um, the people I met, the connections I made, um, some lifelong friends, uh, that aren't even from Ohio, Hmm. you know, so it was, it was pretty awesome. Um, and now, I'm uh, actually in the education uh, business, I guess. It's not really a business, but <laughs> the education... Calling. Calling, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm right now substituting, but pretty much work as a mentor over at Barberton High School um, where I coach football for the high school team and middle school basketball. So I'm very involved with their community um, and very intertwined with what they do over there, as well as I'm a personal trainer. So taking that knowledge that I've learned through football, through sports, um, and through the experiences that I've had and giving back to the community and giving back to the children who, you know, want to be great, want to get better, just need something to do, something constructive. Um, Hmm. and and that's really where I like to hang my hat. I love that kind of stuff. You know, I love seeing these guys strive and go further than I did, right? That's my goal. Get them wherever they want to go. It's not about me anymore, you know, and that's kind of where I live, what I live by and kind of what I do. So
0: it's, uh, you know, as, as you're talking, I'm, I'm, actually being taken back to our class, room 1110. And I remember exactly where you sat most of the time, there in kind of the front right. um, And you probably thought that maybe I put you up front because I wanted to keep a thumb on you, but it was, (laughs) you know, I put you up front because I fed off of your energy. But one of the things that I remember so vividly about you in the classroom is that you constantly advocated for classmates if somebody, you were always like kind of talking for somebody, you were standing up for somebody. Uh, if if I would, you know, and back then I was, I mean, I wish I wish, I was the type of teacher then that I am now, but that's part of the growth process, right? Mm-hmm. But I know mm-hmm. that there were times where I kind of rage a little bit or I get angry <laughs> and you would chime in and try to break the tension. Yeah. So that, you know, whoever the target was of that, shamefully, you know, it would alleviate some of that. And, and that, that quality in you is kind of continued. I mean, that's that's the type of person you are. You are feeding into people. You are advocating for people. You're protecting people. You're speaking on behalf of other people. Uh, and I saw it way back then, uh, which is why, one of the reasons why I want to ask you this, you know, when you talk about what you did, what you pursued at Baldwin Wallace, you know, and you went into chemistry. Why <laughs> Chemistry.
1: <laughs> I get that question so often. It's like, why would you ever do something? You know, being an athlete, it's like most athletes, they say, oh, they're doing sports management or, like, business or something that's, you know, kind of low maintenance. So I'm like, you know, I don't really have a, a great answer. I just... Uh, I mean, it helps that I was on STEM scholarship, um, but when I was in high school, I went to Kent Roosevelt also and did the engineering academy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best experiences that I had in high school was through that, um, wow. just getting to meet different people once again and learn from different people and see things differently. You know, it really expanded my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I got to do something. I don't want to take the easy road. You right. know, and My mom has always told me like, you know, push yourself to your limits. Um, and I love her for that. And uh, so my goal when I got to college was just not to take the easy way out, get the most out of it that I could get. And I dabbled around with different majors. First was math. Then it was engineering. Then it was physics, which I thought I was going to stick with. Um, but somehow I, I ended up with chemistry, um, made a, met a great mentor too, um, Ed Baldwin Wallace that mm. helped me. Dr. Uh, Jim McCarger, mm. he, um, kept me on the straight and narrow, uh, was it straight and narrow? Straight <laughs> na- yeah. Straight and narrow. And, um. Yeah, he he really pushed me to my limits, and that's exactly what I was looking for. So, chemistry was the calling, I guess. You know,
0: man. Every every one of those topics you uh, you mentioned um, provoked fear in me. <laughs> Science, physics, anything, math. I'm like, oh no way. I uh, the, that's the opposite side of the brain that I am. Uh, but I like history too. Yeah, History's
1: I, awesome. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a history guy too. Oh, good recovery. Yeah. Good recovery. Yeah, for
0: sure. Well, no, it's one of the things about you, and I, and I know I've told you this before, but one of the things about you, Brian Cook, that I love and admire so much, and that you've taught me, is this resiliency because you have had a dream, uh, you have constantly challenged yourself, you're always pushing yourself, uh, and that is so admirable. Uh, and, I, and I kid you not, there have been moments where I have looked at your story, uh, I've checked out what you put on social media, and it, it's like the, the opportune post where you're pushing your th- yourself through a workout, or you're, you're trying to contact a GM somewhere, or you're trying to coach up kids, and it was at that moment that I needed kind of the inspiring message that you were talking about. So uh, that has just been a quality of your life where you've never taken the easy road, ever. You've always pushed and challenged yourself, and that's part of why you're just such an incredible young man and and you're doing great things. I
1: appreciate that.
0: So when you were in high school, uh, what are some fond memories of Talmage High School that you might have?
1: Oh, man. Fond. Wow. Well, uh, you know... Obviously, I can't knock football. I mean, that was football and basketball. Um, basketball is my favorite sport, and a lot of people don't know that because I You spend like so the way they time.
0: dribble up and down the court, just <laughs> like I'm the king of the. Oh, sorry. Yeah, every time. No, I, know
1: you, yeah, I know what you're going for. I love Blow. This, love Curtis <laughs> Blow. Yeah. The old school version. Uh huh. Oh, absolutely. That's why. Yeah, I know. I love Curtis Blow. But um, yeah, basketball is my favorite sport. So um, the memories with basketball, I think. We were much better in football than basketball, but at the same time, like, in basketball, we were just so together. You know, I spent that time with, like, some of my best friends, like, Anthony Gatto, Jake Wood, uh, Damon Gidley, like, guys like that. And um, just the camaraderie between us that we built, um, you know, and for some of us, like, we started at a young age. Like, we jumped right into the varsity JV scene as freshmen, so we got kind of thrown in the fire um and it was weird but like we were in it together and some of those memories are going to be there forever and then obviously with the football team you know we had four well really three we had three great years like really good run um but those are the same guys i've been playing with since i was like 10 yeah so um just the memories we built there uh you know the games we won and the games we lost um they were just you know just so awesome and uh coach Vash you know being the great guy that he was bringing us together um and coach Gatto you know and and the rest of the staff I mean those are the the guys that really made my experience so great outside of the classroom in the classroom I mean obviously you Mr. Horner you were one of my favorite teachers but uh also like just some of the other teachers that I got to uh, meet and experience and um you know, Mr. Householder, I think that's, like, my all-time favorite guy because <laughs> he always would mess with me, but he always, like, you know, he wanted to see the best for me and stuff. And a lot of principals, you know, they don't have that kind of reputation. They, mm-hmm. They're looked at as the bad guy. Never once did I ever see him like that. You know, that was, like, my guy. You know, I could sit at the table and talk to him about anything. Yeah. Um, and I got to say, it's really those people that made the best best and the greatest memories for me personally so
0: that's awesome mm-hmm. so you mentioned a couple of your coaches <clears throat> excuse me you mentioned um coach gatto and coach basilotti and then you were uh coached by coach Carneth. Mm-hmm. right then mm-hmm. for basketball coach Karnath, yep you know a coach and one of my favorite quotes is actually from billy graham and it's this a coach will impact more lives in a season than most people do in a lifetime uh, and oftentimes I change that coach word. I put teacher, you mm-hmm. know, a teacher will impact more lives in a classroom in true. one year than most people do in a lifetime. But when you think back on, uh, you know, on your, as a player being mentored by these coaches, are there any lessons or any, um, anything that maybe coach Vass kind of poured into you, any of these coaches, what, what lessons do you take away from them?
1: Um, that well, maybe you
0: try to emulate now or.
1: No, absolutely. That's a awesome question. Um, I got to always go back to coach Gatto because that's one of those guys that I've known since I was like maybe six or seven. Um, didn't really realize what he was doing at the time. I remember there was a point in time where me and Anthony both together wanted to stop playing football together. Mm. We were ninth, 10th grade. And we're like, man, we're getting looked at by varsity basketball. Like that's our favorite sport. Like We just kind of wanted to stop and just play basketball, yeah. basketball, basketball, basketball. And, uh, and i also the reason why i wanted to stop too i never been a quitter i, I was going to wait till the off season you know and you know make my decision over the summer whether i wanted to play or not yeah and um i, I wasn't very successful with football early on my first two years i was not a great athlete mm-hmm. you know i like, wasn't very coachable um and then coach gatto said just do me a favor don't stop yet just give it one more year you Mm -hmm. know, and push through this summer, work as hard as you can. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to help you. I'll have Anthony out here with you. You know, I'm going to get Anthony, talk to Anthony, and then just let me know how you feel in the middle of the season, after the season, Okay. you know. And um, he just told me to, you know, keep pushing, really. And uh, that was kind of the thing that I needed to hear but I didn't really know I needed to hear at the time. Because as a kid, I'm just like, okay, whatever you say, Coach, you know, I'm just going to do it. And my junior year of football was, like, the turning point Mm -hmm. for my athletic career Mm -hmm. in general because I started to grow into my body a little bit. I became more coachable. I worked even harder than I did the year before, you know, and it set the stage for everything that was to come. And if Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been for that one little five- to ten-minute conversation um, with him, you know, a lot of the opportunities I have right now I would have never even gotten a chance to get. You know, so I always go back to that conversation. It's kind of like a turning point for me. Um, It just did wonders for my, you know, my confidence and and my mental, you know.
0: Well, and then there is a great example of the the power of a coach and the power of sport, right? When Mm -hmm. they are able to pour into you and then what ends up happening is you take that principle and you apply it to every stage of your life and it makes you a better man, you know, just one more step. Mm -hmm. I got a friend on Facebook who's made a hat and it says that right across, you know, just one more step. Hey, Mm -hmm. you're, you're so close to becoming that athlete or becoming that student or becoming that player. Just take one more step and keep pushing. And that perseverance, that resiliency ends up becoming just a lifetime lesson Absolutely. like a lifetime motto mm-hmm. yeah you know? a motto yeah. from gato think about that <laughs> i so. like it i like that it's good well, Curtis well what's no, that i said, you're gonna be Curtis Blow. <laughs> it's coming it's coming <laughs> that'll be the next podcast mr horner busts a rhyme or <laughs> <laughs> well you know what i when you see the role of a mentor and you mentioned um one of your college professors and you, you talk about your coach I mean I even see Coach Gatto continuing to pour into you this day like you know even today he's mentoring you now that you're with him out at Barberton. Uh, you and you have attended like our church and our our men's group mm-hmm. and you're coming in with Coach Gatto. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy who's impacting you in the physical realm mm-hmm. right? In the emotional and psychological realm, mm-hmm. you know, by giving you these responsibilities and entrusting you with his players, yeah. And then even in the spiritual realm, realm where he's like, "Hey, man, I got to pour into these young men below me, mm-hmm. who uh, who have questions and are seeking, you know, seeking wisdom." And I, and I and I love that. What's it like coaching for you now?
1: Uh different. That's I guess that's the biggest thing because it's i'm seeing a whole different side of it now so like <laughs> as an athlete when they're telling you hey you got to run more you got to do this you got to do that as an athlete i'm like oh, come on dude yeah. like no i don't want to do this like it sucks i don't want to you know what i mean Man. um you get the athlete's point of view but then as a coach you know after experiencing some things and you, you're trying to get these kids to understand like hey i'm not doing this to make you angry i'm not doing this to get under your skin. Some coaches do, do that to get under their skin, but they, right. it, you can do that for certain players because it's based on, you got to coach to the player. You can't just coach to the group because not everybody reacts the same. Right. You know, some people like to be coddled. Some people need the tough love. It's just, that's just how things are. Mm. Some people can handle both. Well, you,
0: the fact that you're aware of that yeah. at this young of an age it is amazing because that's one of the things you see in the classroom with teachers mm-hmm. and on the court or the field with other coaches. So many times they come in with this mindset that, okay, I'm going to coach the way I was coached mm-hmm. uh, or I'm going to teach the way that I was taught uh, without taking into consideration that every single kid, every player, they're different. Right. And your obligation as a coach and my obligation as a teacher is to make myself aware. You know that's that's my professional responsibility to stay in tune with what needs to be used in the classroom and how how mm-hmm. can I reach every kid because mm-hmm. every kid is and now more than ever mm-hmm. every kid's different. So to hear you say that and you've only what is this? You just finished your second year?
1: No, this is my first. I'm year. Just getting into my second year. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be my first full summer of coaching.
0: But to hear you say that. At this, I mean, man, I wish I knew what you were talking about uh, Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. I was your age and starting Mm -hmm. off coaching eighth grade basketball. Well,
1: it's different, you know, and you've gone through this. Like, when you're in the locker rooms with guys like, man, I just can't stand what Coach is talking about. And then you're kind of like, well, I don't see what the big deal is. But that's just, like, the difference right there. Like, okay, I get where Coach is coming from. I get why he's saying that. But this guy doesn't. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, he's not reaching, you know, his his point isn't being reached isn't getting across to him the same way that it is to me something's got to change just a little bit you know just so he can get it to and uh like that's the one thing like i said for being a coach now i see that um and now it's like on me to figure out how to adjust it and it's the same thing with personal training some kids their body reacts you know on the physical level their body reacts to this workout differently they'll have results from this workout more so if you do this but this guy might not You know, maybe you have to switch the workout a little bit so it can, you know, it can accommodate them. You want to just get the best out of, you know, whoever you have. And that's really the name of the game. They can be 1% better tomorrow than they were the day before. You've done your job for that day, Mm -hmm. right? You know, if you get 1% better every single day for 365 days, I mean, you know, I know percent is out of 100. But But that that guy's gotten so much better, you know, in that time period.
0: Well, and I think when you break it down like that, you know, and I think about that as a husband and a father, a teacher, a coach, you know, my goal, and I tell my own kids this all the time, and when we're on the court, yeah, you walk off the court 1% better, mm-hmm. then that it compounds over time, and you continue to become the best version of yourself. Exactly. Uh, so I was listening to a podcast this morning, and one of the things that they talked about, uh, you know, there are there are a lot of issues that are going on in America, right now. And, uh, one of the things that this gentleman mentioned was that if you want to see change and if you want people, if you yourself want to grow, then what you have to do is you have to serve.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, you can't just speak. You have to serve. And here you are, um, with a chemistry major and I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you could go land a job somewhere where you'd be making bank because of your degree, uh, and yet you choose to pursue a profession where you're not going to make bank mm-hmm. in the monetary form. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are treasures that will be built up in heaven, right? These yeah. You are impacting lives. And then, not only that, you come from a suburban school, but now you are in a urban school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you are pouring into young men, young men who come you know from a predominantly poorer neighborhood mm-hmm. most of these young men and the majority of them are young black men mm-hmm. um, like yourself a young black man what's it like
1: what's it like to what's it like be to, around to, it? to be around yeah.
0: to be around your your boys on the team i mean i know when i when i coached against you they were your boys. Yeah. I Love mean, it kids, it, it didn't it didn't matter, you know, what yeah. their what they their parents made or or yeah. I, mean, I mean, for that matter, it didn't matter their color. I mean, they're uh-huh. your boys. Uh-huh. You were like, these are my boys. We uh-huh. would talk on the sideline and when your boys beat me the first time, I wasn't real happy with your boys. <laughs> yeah, no, I
1: understand. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you are
0: you're now pouring into young men.
1: Mm-hmm. What's it like for you? Um it's honestly and when I first got there, it was just it was just different because it was like well, you know, I went to two different high schools. So I went to Kent Roosevelt for my career program in town. And when I would go to Kent, um, it was like almost like a 50-50 split, mm-hmm. um, which for me, that made me feel a little bit more comfortable just because I was around more people of like culture and, and things like that of my of my culture. Yeah. So it was like, okay, you know, some of the stuff they're doing, oh, I can relate to that a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just a little bit more comforting, which would be for anybody, right? Um, so when I go to Barberton, it's kinda of like the same thing, you know. Uh I get to be around guys that, yeah, maybe I didn't grow up in the city, or maybe I didn't grow up in a, a poorer area, or maybe I didn't go through some of those same struggles. But the overlying or the underlying issue, or I guess now it's kinda of broad, is that as black men in America, we all kinda of are gonna face the same type of struggles in some way, shape or form. You mm-hmm. know, whether that's profiling, whether that's, you know, just some type of discrimination like you're going to get it. Some type of race, like you're going to get it, whether you go to a predominantly black school or you go to a predominantly white school. It's just, you know, it's inevitable. So, just being able to be in in the school system where I'm one of you black teachers there, substitutes, whatever you want to call it.
0: Oh, teacher. Yeah. I mean, you're not a substitute. Mm-hmm. You are a teacher. Yeah. You may not be, you know, certified in the manner right, which i right. am but man you're, you're teaching every yeah. single day
1: and i think that's my goal like it's not about the um you know what you're getting out of the actual education portion it's hmm. you know that i can be there to talk to you when you feel like you can't talk to this other teacher maybe it's because it's a racial issue or just the fact that you know me being there just makes them feel a little bit more comfortable Because I feel like that every black man goes, anybody of color, I won't even say a black man, anybody of any type of color Mm. goes through that where they have those uncomfortable feelings because they're not around, you know, the people that they're accustomed to being around or that they've grown up with or their family, you know, it it makes a difference. Mm. And so for me, I love it because I'm able to impact in a way that I don't even really realize that I'm impacting, which is always good. You know, it's like, it's not like I have to put in work to make an impact. All I'm doing is just making sure that you're okay, and that's my natural human right as a person who cares about other people. I just want to make sure that you're okay and you're getting the best that you can get, and I'm doing all I have to do hmm. to give you that. You know what I mean? Does yeah. that
0: make sense? It makes, it makes incredible sense, and I, and I, I, I'm telling you, I, I'm so proud of you, because <laughs> I, well, the, your heart is so different than so many other people's hearts. I mean, from the get-go. Since you've been coaching and since you've been subbing at Barberton, you always talk about your kids. It's They're always your kids. And I love that. A lot of people take issue with teachers saying, well, they're my kids. Because, you know, and part of it, you know, Noah, who's sitting here in our audience, <laughs> he, he's my kid. He's my son. Uh-huh. You know, my daughter, that that's my kid. Yes, mm-hmm. those are my natural born. But I refer to my students as my kids because, yeah, I mean... And you've got the same... We would take a bullet for them, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. We would put our our life on the line for these kids because they're our kids. And here you are one year in, and every time I talk to you, you're talking about your kids. And now all you're talking about this entire time is just pouring and mentoring and guiding uh, young people in in a positive direction. You know, one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to have you on here... Um, is because you are a young black man. And you have lived through things that I cannot even imagine. You posted something on Facebook uh, the other day. And when I read it, it was deeply moving. Um, And it really made me think and made me aware of racism and equality issues in America, and that we do have a serious problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know it from a historical perspective because I teach history, mm-hmm. um, but now when you're see- when I'm seeing all that's transpiring, there's such a, a deeper-seated issue that needs to be addressed, and Absolutely. I just want to, I know, I know it's a little bit lengthy, but do you mind okay. reading what you posted on Facebook?
1: Absolutely. Let me take these off, too, because I feel like they're making a little <laughs> noise, yeah. Trying to talk, I thought it would help, but I guess not. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, I definitely don't mind reading um, the post, and I'm one of those people too. Like I'm active on social media, but like when it comes to like topics of like you know of debate and whatnot, um, I don't really like to throw a lot of my opinions out there. Now, if we want to have the conversation in person, I'm always open to talk about it because right. I do have an opinion on everything. Yeah, but. On social media, you know, you got the people that are going to debate you to the end and this and that. And I don't usually like to get in scuffles on social media just because I'm a professional. Like, I don't like to, you know, engage in that.
0: Again, know. that's very mature. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to,
1: you know, you don't want to get caught up doing something that's going to come back to to get you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Even yeah. if you had pure intentions from it. Yeah. So, um, but for this specific topic, I think it was something that kind of needed to be addressed. Yeah. Um, I talked to a couple of my buddies about it. And uh, they had addressed it to an extent. And I was like, man, I I feel like I should just say something. Because I know people kind of watch and look at what I do at times. Um, So that's kind of why I posted. Um, But I'll go ahead and read it. So um, on Tuesday, I posted, The topic is always a tough discussion to bring up, but it's something that should be talked about. For the last week, I've kept quiet on social media because anyone who knows me knows I don't have a problem voicing my opinion but I'd rather voice it in person instead of on social media. But after talking with my brothers and stuff, I feel as if it's necessary. Black Lives Matter is a subject that will always hit home for our community. Whether you've experienced racial profiling firsthand or not, as a black man, no matter if you're a normal citizen or a criminal, whether you're going for a jog or taking any step outside, your life is always at risk in America. This is the sad reality. Most of you know me and know that I come from a good, clean home with loving parents. I went to predominantly white school, and my number one goal in life has always been to help, whether it's through kids in the community or helping others grow. My sister and parents are the same way, but I would be lying to you if I said that me having this background mattered for me. I've been pulled over numerous times when I wasn't doing a thing wrong at night because of the color of my skin. I've been belittled because of my race and judged because of the color of my skin without people knowing me. I've been more qualified for things and got looked over simply because I'm black. When I lived in Berea, which is where Bob Wallace is, I was getting out of my car in my own apartment parking lot at 11 o'clock at night. I didn't even think about it, but at that time I had crutches as well because I had just came off of surgery. Hmm. So, you know, I was pretty helpless, you know, there's not much that a guy on crutches could really do. Hmm. So at 11 at night, uh, I, you know, was getting out of my car in my apartment parking lot to walk inside when a cop snuck up behind me, he didn't have his lights on and he asked me questions because there apparently had been a slew of car thefts in that area. As if I was the only one in the apartment, you know, parking lot at 11 o'clock on a weekend, you know what I mean? So, um, at the time was very uncomfortable but uh so this all leads to the point i'm trying to make george floyd's death was a wake-up call to america that this type of mistreatment has been going on for years and even if you've never been shot at or beaten by a police officer if you're a person of color this hits even harder because in america even if you're just walking your dog or taking a jog as a black man the reality is this could be you so don't say all lives matter because we all know they do But black lives have to matter first before all lives do. And that's the basis of it. Yeah. So
0: So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. um, Because when I I called you, I told you, I said, listen, I'm a white guy who grew up in the suburbs, and I have no clue, no clue. Um, What was it like growing up in Talmadge as a young black man? um and you mentioned even before this that and I want you to just kind of take us well let's start with that what what was it like for you
1: um so I mean I I had a good experience in Talmadge in terms of uh you know my my life as a child like I didn't you know I was very blessed I put it that way I was very blessed um some of the things that I know others may have gone through when they were younger I didn't go through but Mm -hmm. the one thing that was always a constant Um, that my parents always had taught me that I didn't realize at the time was not to be naive. And, you know, as a kid, you don't really understand what that means. Um, so going through Talmadge, you know, when I would get into scuffles at school and, and do things, you know, my parents, they would worry a little bit because, you know, they feel like as a black guy in a predominantly white area, the eyes are always on you no Mm -hmm. matter what. You could be in a group with five guys and may not even have done anything. If they're all white and you're the black guy, chances are they're going to call you into the office before they call the other four. You know what I mean? So um, for me, uh, you know, as I was younger, there were things that I didn't understand that my parents would teach me. Like, just be careful, um, do the right thing, but don't be naive, you know. And they were very strict and protective over me in terms of who I hung out with you know, when to be back at home, um, you know, just like any other parent would. But, uh, like I said, I didn't really understand why, like mom, I want to stay out a little bit longer. Why can't I No, you have to be home by this time? And whose house is that? Who do they know? What, you know, so as I start to get older, you know, middle school, high school, um, then things start to click. I start seeing some of my black friends that would come to the school and a year later they would leave because they just couldn't handle the, the culture shock or, you know, maybe that they got in some trouble, whatever it may have been. And I was always wondering, like, why is why is that? Like, why am I still one of the only black guys that live in here? Yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, I'm blessed. I come from a good family. I You know, I try to do the right thing, you know. Um, but at times, I mean, it, it definitely was uncomfortable just because you being the only person of any type of culture or color in an area... in a school you know like not a lot of people are going to be able to relate to you Um, yeah and i've seen from experiences from my other friends that were going through some of the same stuff that i was but i was always masked by being the athlete i was able to get along with everybody because Mm -hmm. that's the kind of person i am but i know guys that weren't like that they weren't necessarily looking for trouble but you know people would pick with them and yeah. it was very clicky. And, you know, you either in this click or that click and this, that, and the other. So, you know, you see all the black guys sitting together and stuff, you know, yeah. just because, not because they want to be away from anybody else, but just because they all can relate to each other. Yeah. It wasn't as inclusive. Um, and for me, that was uncomfortable because there would be days where I want to sit with these guys, but then I know that these guys may have an issue with it or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's the... You know, so for me, it could be uncomfortable. And there was also times of racism and judgment where even there's times like you feel like you kind of got to like turn the other cheek and just put it on the back burner because it's not important. But that's the issue. You know, you've got to, as black men, we've taken it for so long. And I was talking to my friend the other day. It's just, we're just tired of it. At this point now, people are just getting tired of it. And that's why you see all this stuff. They're tired of having to turn the other cheek. You know, they're tired of feeling like all eyes are on them just because, there's somebody of a different race, you know. We're all going, trying to do the same thing to be successful. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be successful, you know. That's at the end of the day, we all have the same goal. So why is my journey? Why is the discrimination? Why am I getting discriminated against, and you're not? Yeah. You know what I mean. So um, that's my experience growing up. I've had uncomfortable moments. I had a great experience. Um, I have great friends of all different, you know, races. But I, I would be lying to you if I said there were some times that I was uncomfortable and, you know, I've had to deal with some discrimination and stuff, you know.
0: Did you ever feel, you don't have to mention any names, but mm-hmm. did you ever feel as if maybe your teachers
1: discriminated, discriminated
0: against me? I mean, and maybe, you know, maybe it's not intentionally, but did you ever kind of pick up on the uh, kind of the um, inferences or
1: uh you know what yeah i i think uh but not so much when i was older um not so much when i was older because i think that my parents did a great job of making sure everybody in the school knew about us and like where we come from and that we weren't taking anything like my mom is she's one of the most vocal people my dad is like go ahead honey do what you got to do like (laughs) my mom will get all up in your face and let you know what's going on so uh But when i was younger though i remember there was a time where you know i'm a kid i'm a second grade actually i'm I'm a kid you know i don't know how old you are about seven or eight in second grade and uh i had one teacher that you know i was like i said i was a knucklehead i bounced off the walls like any other kid would um but she was always on my case more so than the other kids and there was other kids in that class that i'm like great friends with to this day that they were knuckleheads. They were doing the same stuff I was doing, and she wanted to put me on riddling. I remember that mm. she wanted to put me on like something that would calm me down, and uh, my mom, my mom, got so upset with that, hmm. with the fact that she wasn't willing to sit there and talk and learn, you know. But for other kids that were doing the same thing, that wasn't even a thought. Right. Let them bounce off the walls. That's fine but let's calm him down, you know, let's tame him. Yeah. My mom's sitting there thinking, oh, hell no. No, yeah. not here. No, yeah. we're not doing this. Wow. Um, And she made it a point. She said, if you can't handle him, we'll take him out of this class. It's not a huge deal. We'll put him in a different class. Um, I don't remember if I did switch or not. I, th- I think I did end up switching classes, but it was just one of those things where, like, my mom was like, no, like, and you're not doing this to anybody else. Why are you doing this to him? And um, I had an older sister, too, that also kind of paved the way for me, too, four years older than me. And she probably had to go through some of the stuff that I didn't get to go through because she was older than me, you know. And my sister not only is, you know, she's not only a black woman, she also has a handicap. So everybody's already going to judge her in the first place, like unintentionally even, you know. So, um, and I'm thankful that, you know, she was around to help me and oh. my parents, but those, those are, uh, as middle school and high school, I don't think I really ran into as many issues in the classroom, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I've always been kind of the same person all the way through, yeah. you know, I try to do the right thing, I have my moments just like any kid would, but at the same time, you know, just trying to learn just like everybody else. You know?
0: Well, I remember, uh, I remember your sister, well, <laughs> she's extraordinary. Uh, she's awesome and she's in social work right now isn't she yeah she
1: actually has her own private practice in columbus and she works for ohio state so she's constantly busy um she just got married last year wow so i think it was last year maybe it was two. congratulations acacia yeah yeah congrats dude uh (laughs) i know you hear me but uh yeah so she's well on her way and she's Didn't let none stop her. She's one of my main sources of motivation. Oh, my
0: gosh. I remember having her in class and just, again, uh, when I look at what your parents have done uh, as far as parenting is concerned, two resilient kids. Two amazing kids. I mean, I have nothing but mad respect for both you and and your sister. Your sister amazed me as a student. And I haven't seen a lot on social media recently. So I I didn't, I I may have known it. She got married. I'm not sure. But I just, I knew she was in social work. And I mean, you talk about a, a, an advocate for kids and for people. So your mom and dad, have they ever shared any experiences with you that they've had?
1: Um, I don't think they shared any, like, really, like, serious, personal ones. I know my dad grew up in Alabama, okay. uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, wow. So, I mean, see, my dad's, like, 63 or so now. So, like, he grew up through all that. Yeah. Um, My mom's about that age, too, so they both grew up through all that. But my mom's from Cleveland, so um, a little bit different. But my mom went to OU, so at, at the time it was a predominantly white school. She mm-hmm. went there for dance, and... I mean, I'm sure she went through her own experiences just because, you know, that's just kind of the name of the game when it comes to being in an area that doesn't have a lot of people that look like you, yeah. personally. That's yeah. just what it is. That's what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, they've always been just cautious with things that I do. And even to this day, they still say, okay, well, you know, just be careful. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine... <laughs> And we we're just talking about it, I can imagine having a kid. You can you can control them and get them in the right places when they're young. Mm-hmm. You can take them here or there, put them around, you know, certain people, this, that, and the other. You can kind of monitor that. But me being going off to college and then me being my own person, my you know, grown man, um seeing them say, Okay, I love you. I'm going out to, I'm just going to Dunkin' Donuts to get, you know, a wake up rap. Yeah. you know what I mean like what like what you know but but as soon as I walk out of that door, they're thinking I don't know I'm gonna see my son again yeah, you know um and that's that's probably the most powerful thing for me because I see that as we're not being protective we're afraid hmm. we're afraid and it, and you know every parent gets afraid for certain things like you said like going out and kids driving right you know they're young they're gonna make mistakes hopefully it doesn't cost them their life you right. know we pray that it doesn't but this is a different type of this isn't a mistake on our part right this is a mistake on either law enforcement this is the the burden that kind of society kind of has you know on people of color in America like you really don't know it could be you I could have been George Floyd you know what I'm saying I could have been that guy that was just driving. Um, got pulled over, routine traffic stopped, reached to get my license, and I have five shots in in me, you know. That could have been me. So um, that's probably the scariest thing Mm -hmm. from what I've, Hmm. you know, experienced. Um, I'm fortunate that I haven't been in that situation. You know, I've been pulled over, but not. You know, I just try to do what what they ask me to do and, you know, be safe
0: i when we had talked before we started recording you know i shared with you the podcast that i listened to where a a mother talked about that and um every time i think about it and i've listened to the podcast twice um when i think about it from a parental perspective um to know that my my kids are out there and because of the one and i can't but I mean in your mom's situation that because my son is a person of color it elevates the chance of something happening happening to him, And you take that with just the, I mean, just the stress and anxiety of being a parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you, once a parent, always a parent. It doesn't matter, you know, even at your age now and you're out and you're doing all these great things, your mom and dad are always thinking about you. And mm-hmm. they're always like, okay, well, where's Brian at tonight? And, yeah. you know, I don't want him to be out too late or mom's going to have a, a, you know, a little bit more of a difficult time sleeping. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's just, the just your parent. You're a yeah. your parent. She's told me multiple times
1: yeah. about that. Like i uh, you know, she's like, told me, I, I want to say it was a couple months ago, she was like, oh, well, you know, I just keep waking up in the middle of the night. I'm like, why? And I wasn't home. You know, I had just actually came back home and she was just like, you know, sometimes when you're not around, like I yeah. can't always sleep. And I'm like, come on, like, no. Um, but I can get it though. Yeah. It makes sense.
0: Well, I'm 48 and I can tell you, my mom, um, she, she, same thing, hey, how are you? Worried about you? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just something that's instinctive, but then to add to that, the fact that you don't know if your son or daughter, if they get pulled over, is it going to be retribution? Is it going to be racism? Is it going to be
1: you're um, going to get that bad cop? Because right? I don't think all ba- cops are bad. No. I'm, I'm a firm believer that I've met some awesome cops, that, like, I've done stuff that. I know I should be getting in trouble for it, but they say, you know what, I'm gonna let you slide this time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So not every cop is bad, right? You know, but it's just like he takes one bad apple to make it look like that for everybody. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of what we're fighting right now.
0: Well, and I think the other thing too, and I don't know if I'm gonna word this the right way. I agree with you that that um, our the police officers. they, they are unbelievable. And you're right. Mm-hmm. It's the bad apple, just like a bad teacher. One bad teacher gives the, the profession a yeah. bad rap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what it boils down to is personal accountability and personal growth, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and the ability to step back and say and separate the politics and all that other crap away from it and just say, you know what, I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen mm-hmm. and I'm going to learn so that I can be part of the change and not part of the problem. Absolutely. You know, the, I think what's happening now with, with George Lloyd's death is that, you know, there, there is a, the, the degree of importance, I mean, it's always been incredibly important, uh, but it has escalated to the point because now you see that those who kind of represent the law and are kind of the gateway for the law They've revealed a problem that doesn't just exist with corrupt police officers. It exists throughout all of America. Right. You know what I mean. I, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It, it's saying, okay, there are racist tendencies, mm-hmm. and we've kind of pushed them under the rug by saying, "Well, I'm not racist." Mm-hmm. But now we've got to look ourselves in the mirror and we've got to say, "Okay, where in my life am I racist?" Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you right now, I'm I, I would probably say I'm I'm far more educated than than the the common person about the history mm-hmm. of, of racism in America. And I'm very much aware, my kids and my wife will tell you, I'm very much aware about the terminology I use and things like that. But when I really start to peel back the, the layers of the onion, mm-hmm. uh, I begin to realize, okay, there are racist tendencies. Mm-hmm. There are things that I have to address because mm-hmm. I'm a man of faith, mm-hmm. because of my relationship with Christ, but also because of my relationship with my kids kids Mm -hmm. no matter their skin color it is my obligation as a human being to be honest with myself and Mm -hmm. say i've got to attack this
1: issue Mm -hmm. and that's the thing like all of this like this this is just the tipping point george floyd dying that's the tipping point but this is all stuff that's been going on for so long and you know it's put fear in everybody right but all we're trying to do And all people are really trying to do that are a part of this movement is get the conversation started. Because for so long, everybody ignores the conversation. It's not, you know, I'm like, just like you said, I'm not a racist. You know, I I hate when people say, you know, I'm not a racist. I have three black friends. Like, dude, the fact that you're saying that to me lets me know that you think some type of way about certain races already. Mm -hmm. Like, you're trying to justify you not being a racist. By the people that you hang around. That doesn't mean that you like that race. It just means you like those three dudes who are that race. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What about the other thousands? You know what I mean? So, like, it's not enough to just say, hey, I'm not racist. So, like, I shouldn't work. No. Educate your family. Have the conversation. It's a tough conversation. Talk to your kids. Talk to your, you know, your significant others. Let them know. Like, hey... If we want to be a part of a change, this is what's going on in America. And we can't do the same things that those guys are doing. Yeah. We got to go different. We got to take the, this side of the fork in the road and not this one. Hmm. You know what I mean? And that's really all that this is about is just getting them talking. So then if you t- if you talk enough, eventually something starts to stick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but you got to talk first for it to even have a chance to stick. You know what well, I mean?
0: I know what you mean. Wow. Well, we're, uh, I'm blessed to have you on here, man.
1: I'm thankful that you brought me on here. And it's just cool cool because, uh, like I said, I don't really speak a lot on stuff like that, but like I said, as I'm getting older and starting to realize that, and I don't even realize, like, I don't feel like I'm that influential. I've never always, I've never been like that. I've never felt like, Oh, you know, I influence these people. And these people look at me like I've never been like that. Cause I just kind of do what I got to do people see it and they get something out of it like more power to them i'm gonna to continue to do what i've been doing mm-hmm. um i was talking to my girlfriend and my mom and of course your mom's gonna say good things about you always yeah. but she's like my girlfriend was like i don't really know if you realize how influential you are at times and i was like why would i sit here and boast about how influential i am i don't it's not you know if i am being an influence i'm just trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. you know what i mean um but now that i'm in the school system and and I'm um, around more people that are very easily influenced. I think it's important that these conversations happen, whether it's through podcasts, um, through private family conversations at home, hmm. um, you know, on the Internet. Like, the conversations need to happen. Amen. You know, you just need to listen. You just need to talk and listen, you know. Let some people talk. You listen if you don't understand. And you talk to somebody so they can listen if they don't understand, and just be open minded. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's the most difficult thing for some people. They're hard headed. I'll be the first one to tell you I'm I'm like that too at times. So,
0: well, we all are. Yeah. Uh, we all are. And you know what I I think I the one question I was gonna ask before we summarize you know what can we do and you've just you fit the nail on the head. You've got to have the the uncomfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh. And you've got to be willing to admit where you're wrong. Absolutely. And you've got to be able to apologize where you need forgiveness. Um, and and we can't blame shift, right? Yeah. I can't I can't blame or distract the anybody from the conversation by saying, oh well, look at the looters or look at the the, the vandalism or anything like that. No no no, that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't allow that to pull us away from the issue that Mm -hmm. needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that is that there is a serious crisis and human lives are are being affected and are being lost.
1: Mm -hmm. It's about being a humanitarian at the end of the day. It is. is. Everybody's human. The looting and the rioting. I don't condone the looting. Um, I don't condone some of the rioting, to be honest. But you can't sit here and say that if it wasn't your kid, that was that person you know even as a white or a black guy if it wasn't your kid you wouldn't want to burn something down or you wouldn't yeah. want to get up in that person get up in the law enforcement no. space and say hey why did this happen and that's all it is like it's just a natural reaction like you want to fight when you feel like you've been done wrong sure everybody's like that yep. you everybody know? is yep. in- instinctively
0: so it's the fight or flight mentality yeah. right yeah and for the longest time there's been flight away from it yeah and now it's time to fight to bring recognition to it.
1: And you think about the peaceful protest stuff, like people have been doing that for, even with Kaepernick and all that. Like, it's not even just that. The, you know, in the Olympics, I don't even remember the two guys' name. I should, I should know this. Yeah, but, when they were on the podium. Yeah, when on yeah the, podium, uh, the eighty. Uh,
0: was that eighty
1: four? Yeah, I think it was eighty four. Yeah, the I Olympics. know the picture, the famous picture. Yeah, you know? I think it was eighty four. It was around the time Jordan came in the league. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like. Stuff like that, and you get shunned for doing that and chastised and ousted out of America. Yeah. Right? Because, oh, you disgraced the flag. Well, you know, the flag, it doesn't just tell one story. It tells a bunch of stories. Yeah. You know, America's more than just the military and the army and stuff. It's about the people who live there, too. Yeah. You know? That's why they're fighting for the people who live there. So why not make what's, you know, domestically, let's make this the best place it can be. Yeah. You know? and and handle that you got to handle what's going on on the home front before you can go out and you know what I mean?
0: I know. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just in all of you. <laughs> I really am. I, I, I'm sitting here just thinking the whole time about you as a 16 year old and watching your growth 16. and, and wow. your, just who you've become as this young man. You are a person of influence and I will tell you, I'm just sitting here and I mean, People need to understand that we didn't pre-plan this. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never had you on. A, I mean, we've never really sat down and talked about any of this. Uh, but, man alive, I, I can see you in front of a whole bunch of coaches firing them up. A whole bunch of – I mean, you are – you're just so well-spoken. I mean, it's just like you're giving me the chills. you got to go – you're like Justin Sua. You know? <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I have I him have on uh, social media. Yeah, that guy's awesome. I,
0: I mean, you're like uh-huh. – yeah. Yeah. You've got a, a he career, got public. You yeah.
1: got me into him. You're the so, one who told me about him. Yeah, so, well,
0: he's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I thank you for your time, and I thank you for pouring into kids. Uh, your kids are blessed to have you. Uh, you are you are a solid role model, and I I tell you, um, you're going to be changing it. a lot of lives.
1: I appreciate it. So um, yeah. my goal is to be a front office guy in the future. I'm actually I never said it, but I'm in school to be well to do sports analytics but okay. my goal is to be like a general manager of a team hopefully the Cavs. i would love to like oh, turn them around the yeah man i need to i need to see some more some more wins kevin Porter jr <laughs> is my guy so love kpj i've actually like met them been around them hung around them him yeah. and darius garland yeah um, both really really good guys to be honest they're you know, they're really good guys. They're young, too.
0: This will be the final lesson from your life that I've learned. Uh, and this is Justin Sua as well. Justin Suwa's quote, he actually spoke to my class. And one of the things he goes, listen, you got to remember that every no gets you closer to yes. And that's one thing about you. Uh, you made these connections. But a lot of the connections you made in the world of athletics... Uh, it came because you pursued them. You're like, okay, well, here's how I can get connected with this GM. Now I got to make the phone call. I got to send the email. Then mm-hmm. I got to continuously pursue it.
1: Uh, send it every day. Yeah. <laughs> Repeat it. Yep. 15%. Yeah.
0: And 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 that's that's the kind of stuff that makes you successful in all areas of your life. So, Brian, um, this is awesome. Maybe we'll have you back again. But Absolutely, I, would love it. I, I, thank you for your message. Thank you for your heart. Uh, thank you for your passion um and thank you for the privilege of being your teacher
1: mm-hmm. thank you for listening mm-hmm. and everything obviously that you've done for me you know you've helped me grow into you know the man that i am you yeah, know just well. by even just being in your class just developed me in in ways that you know if i didn't have those experiences you know right. it could have changed a lot of things for me so and i appreciate that
0: well it was uh it was the privilege was mine buddy i'm telling you uh hey so before we do close off, I'm going to tell you this is a discussion that needs to continue. It's a conversation that cannot stop. It can't stop in a week. It can't stop in a month. It can't ever stop. It's got. It's a conversation that needs to begin now. If you haven't had it, and it needs to stay with you forever. Um, on a personal note, in my uh, desire to grow as a human being. I've committed to reading 12 books over the next 12 months, thanks to Allison Apsey, and, uh, and one of the books I've already read. As a white guy, I, I don't know, and I can't fathom what people of color are dealing with. I highly recommend White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo as a starting point, point. Um, and it has revealed to me things that I didn't realize existed. Uh, listen to podcasts, read, uh, and then just get started. Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Thanks for tuning in to this uh, special episode of Between Two Blue Devils, and uh, we'll connect again very soon. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on, and also feel free to follow me on Instagram. At, at Mr. MrHornerTheTeacher or on Twitter at underscore Horner for podcast updates, blog updates, and more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, I would appreciate if you give us a review and share the episode. Help me get the message out about how incredible our community is and how awesome our teachers are. If you haven't, make sure you go back and listen to past interviews. There are a lot of amazing people that we've had the privilege of interviewing. Until next time... Go Blue Devils.